Well, hello and welcome to The Hoot, episode three from Region Media with the news and the views, the big ideas, the things that made Canberra talk this week, coming to you from Nunawal country. I'm Genevieve Jacobs. Ross Solly is with me. G'day, Ross. Hoot, hoot. Hello, Genevieve. How are you? Been a big week, hasn't it? Well, no avoiding the big news. I mean, farewell to Her Majesty, a, a truly extraordinary woman, one who's garnered huge respect. Um, I was actually up at Parliament House on the day that she died and saw the Howitzer salute. Very moving. It's been quite interesting how powerfully people have responded, hasn't it? Well, you know, it's something which I'm sure a lot of us have been thinking about for some time of, of how how and when it would happen and uh, if it would happen. I mean, some people thought it might never happen. But, yeah, it's... Uh, been a very interesting week and a lot of very interesting reactions from some very interesting quarters and um, people obviously they get emotional about this at at this time and and maybe their worldview changes a little bit but I think the appropriate amount of respect has been shown and and I think that maybe some of the stuff we're doing is going a little bit far but hey I mean this is a once in a generation thing this is a once in a lifetime thing and uh i know tony abbott says it's the it's the most monumental death that most of us will ever experience i'm not quite sure if that's true but it is a monumental moment in history well i think that's right and look lots of discussion this week about whether it is or isn't too early to talk about a republic and we ran an editorial from ian bushnell on this i mean i i think that you can deeply respect someone remarkable and at the same time you can think about whether our head of state really should be some sort of distant, perhaps beloved relative who kind of lives in another country. I mean, is it? Do you reckon it's too soon to talk about the Republic or is this the time we've been waiting for? Well, I mean, I think that there's never a wrong time to talk about it. The problem I have, Genevieve, is that I, I still don't know that as a, as a nation that we've settled on what we're going to replace it with. And this was the problem last time, that, that it fell down because there was major disagreement about how you know, would we have a president? How would that person be elected? Would that person become more powerful than the parliament? We couldn't come to an agreement on that last time, and I'm not quite sure that we're ready to come to an agreement on it this time. So, yes, we can talk about it, but I, I really don't know as a nation we know what we want. You know, we, we're throwing something out, but we don't know what we want to replace it with. And look, maybe you're right there that, that what we are starting here is not the inevitable inexorable movement towards a republic, but the discussion about what that would look like. I mean, I, I did have a look uh, the other day at the votes last time around, and the ACT recorded the highest yes vote in the country, something like 63% to the highest other vote of about 48 or 49%. So, you know, we already know that we are not like other people in many ways, but but maybe the message for the country as a whole is this is the start of the conversation, not the decision. The other thing, interesting point, Genevieve, is it's we're quite often told that young people don't feel that connection with the, the monarchy, etc. And maybe that's true. But what I would say about the King Charles, uh, the new king, is I think he'll be much more hands-on. I mean, the Queen was very good at sitting around and waving and nodding and doing things like that and was a calm hand during a crisis, etc., etc. I think with King Charles, we're going to see him sticking his nose in on hot-button issues for a lot of young people, you know, like the environment and, and things like that. And, and maybe that will appeal to young people to have somebody, the King of the Commonwealth, who is weighing up and, and talking about things like the environment and that maybe that will actually work in his favour. Uh, you know, people have said, oh, you know, once he becomes king, you'll have to button his lip and not have anything to say about that. But I don't think he will. He's shown him. He's shown before that he uh, he feels passionate about this sort of stuff. So maybe that it will be a good thing having a, a head of state who actually gets involved in a few issues 
unlike the Queen, who sort of just didn't really get involved in anything too much, but everybody loved her because of that. So maybe that will sway a few people as well who might not feel the necessity anymore to throw out somebody who really doesn't do anything for you. Yeah, look, I had um, an interesting perspective on this from Val Dempsey, from our Val Dempsey, who's currently the Senior Australian of the Year, and she is actually going to the funeral. She's part of a group of 10 people from all walks of life who are representing us all. Now, I, I spoke to Val a day or so ago, and she is beside herself with excitement at being part of history. And her point was, look, for her, it's about representing all of us ordinary people. And, you know, maybe, as you say, that's where the role of the monarchy goes. Maybe it is a, a more activist, perhaps even more engaged role. It's not just the sort of the, the standing there, shaking hands and looking serene and glorious. Yeah. I mean, and I think uh, Ian, Ian Bushnell's column, I think, nailed it because he was talking about my mum, basically, in there. That, you know, my mum is an avid an avid royalist has been since day one. You know, she's uh, the queen came to came to the throne when I think my mum was five years old. So you know, that's all she's ever known, and and she'd never been to England before. Uh, I was living there a couple of years ago, and the most exciting thing she did while she was there was went to Buckingham Palace. Um, but that's that generation, you know, and that that generation is moving on now, and and the younger generation has different aspirations, different views, and certainly it's a muddy, much more multicultural Australia now than it was uh, during when my mum was, you know, young. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. If we went to the polls again, it would be very interesting to see how the vote went, but we just need to know what we're replacing it with. I come back to that again, Genevieve, because, you know, if we go down the US model and have a president that's elected by the people and that person becomes more powerful in the parliament and then there's all sorts of things happen and then it changes the face of our democracy altogether. So we, we need to really think this through and talk it out. Ross, on other matters overseas, we were suggesting last week that maybe our solution to stadium woes was light rail to Bruce. Um, lots of chat this week, some of it quite cranky at your suggestion that lots and lots of cities overseas with equivalent populations or even smaller populations have light rail. And I, I just found this really interesting. Places like Augsburg in Germany, Talk to me about how it works for smaller cities. What do you think it does for places that are smaller than us but have that kind of transport infrastructure? What, what's the effect on the city? Well, I, I suppose the point of what I was, I was writing, you know, and I know, I know it's, a, it's a, a, a not a great comparison to compare some of these centuries-old European cities with, you know, young Canberra, but these are centuries-old European cities that started building tram networks, you know, in the late 1800s. And... Uh, and now they thrive, and these cities are not much bigger. In fact, a couple of them are, are smaller than Canberra. But I, I sort of talked to a few of the locals there, and I said, well, you know, do you think it's a waste of money? You're a small city. You've got these trams rattling around the streets here. and But they all loved it, and they said no. They said, in fact, you know, whenever there's been talk about trying to save money by shutting down tram lines, there's been protests, and people have been, you know, lying down, lying down on tram tracks and stuff like that. So... I just thought it was really interesting, Genevieve, that, that, that this is this is the way it is in most small European cities. You know, they don't know any other way. And and we have these arguments come up and a lot of them came up in this in the reaction to my column that, you know, this we don't need it in Canberra, we've got different priorities, we're too spaced out, et cetera, et cetera. But I tell you what, I reckon in fifty years time, a hundred years time, there may well be generations who thank us and thank the leaders of the ACT now for their foresight 
in setting something up like this because when it's too expensive and too difficult to drive cars anymore and too congested for parking and things like that, well, you know, light rail seems like a, an obvious solution. Well, surely the argument, as lots of people pointed out to you, is about density, though, isn't it? Large numbers of people would say we are just too spread out to make light rail across the city work. And I, I guess the other thing is that many would say we just can't afford it. And you and I have had this conversation before about how genuinely constrained the ACT government budget is. And I would presume that those small European cities are not paying for their own light rail. Is this a call to you know get the Commonwealth involved? Is there somebody else who can who could help us with this noble objective? Well, I think if the Commonwealth, I mean, I, I notice that the high-speed rail is on the agenda again. So, you know, we, we, it's the same old stuff, isn't it, Genevieve? We just trotted out. It's like, it's like Groundhog Day without the, the hog. You know, these same issues pop up and they talk about who's going to fund it all and how it's all going to work. But the Commonwealth does have a role in the ACT. And, you know, the, the next stage, and there'll be stages going through the Commonwealth Triangle there, and it's... It's all about beautifying our city and making sure what we love about it remains unaffected by modernising the city as well. And, and yes, you know, we do struggle to pay for it. We do struggle to, to find the finances to cover some of these major projects. But every year, every year, the Commonwealth doles out money in marginal electorates for dubious projects. I mean, <laughs> let's have a look at some of them. I mean, some of them are absolutely ridiculous. And you think, what in the heck can justify that? Now, we're not a marginal electorate, so that's always going to be a problem. But surely, surely we can uh, get some some hard-earned moolah coming our way, Genevieve, for a project which is actually potentially quite useful, potentially quite good for the environment and potentially quite good for the future of our, of our city. Yeah, look, I reckon it's been our eternal curse that we are not a marginal electorate and that no one wants to do favours to the ACT. <laughs> we just, we miss out on so much. Well, well, maybe we should suggest the next leg goes to Queanbeyan, which is in Eden Monero, which is a marginal electorate. Maybe then we'll get some money for it. How's that for an idea? <laughs> Actually, that is genuinely not a bad idea. We have had a bit of a chat about that in the past, but apparently the idea on that is don't don't hold your breath because if we're not getting to Woden anytime soon, we're certainly not going to Queanbeyan. Have you ever gone swimming in the lake? No, I haven't. Um, I've often been tempted to, and I know there are parts of the lake where people do go swimming, but I've never actually gone into the water. I've been there. I remember a couple of times when I did breakfast radio and we, we came, we broadcast down there on the banks of, of the lake and people were swimming and people were on their stand-up paddle boards and falling into the water, but I've never fallen in. But maybe it's just as well because maybe I'd land on top of a car or something. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think the obvious risk is that you snot a carp or the, at the very least you run into a huge patch of blue-green algae. But, yeah, we've got this story this week. You would not believe what's down there with bodies and knives and cars. I mean, yeah, anyone would think that this was a was a city where things happened, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, I, I always think one of the great stories about our region is is the time of the flooding of the Queanbeyan Cemetery when half of the... Uh, inhabitants there floated off down the river and a couple of them ended up in Lake Bill. I mean, it, when I first heard that story, I thought, no way, this is going to be a, a Tim the Yowie Man made up special, but it is actually fact. Uh, and there's all sorts of other stories, isn't there, about the tunnels that apparently allegedly go under the lake and there's a secret bunker under there and all sorts of stuff there, which is just, I'm sure it's all myth, but wow. I mean, <laughs> we do manage to 
get some pretty decent stories about things that apparently have happened in the lake and things that you can find on the bottom of the lake. And if only half of them were true, Genevieve, it would be... I mean, it's like Lake Jindabyne, isn't it? There's a whole city under there. Uh, so who knows what's at the bottom of... Uh, who knows what's at the bottom of Lake Burley Griffin? One day they might have to drain it for some reason, and there could be a lot of secrets, a lot of Canberra's darkest, dirtiest secrets, which will suddenly come to the fore. That's when you might see a few people hightailing it out of, out of the city pretty quickly. Well, I mean, you know, let, let's remember that the, the lake only filled in the late 60s, so it's not as if, I mean, it's been basically your and my lifetime where the, um, where the lake was full. So, um, and as you say, the story of the coffins being found in the lake is true. You would think that the days when sewerage plants overflowed into the Malonglo would seem to be over, but that's actually, that's actually not in fact the case. In fact, last year, a couple of times, Icon Water had to carry out what they call controlled releases of partially treated effluent, um, which, you know, is a bit startling when you think about it. Uh, a couple of sad stories weren't there in that story, though, about uh, bodies being found there of missing people, including that, that one poor lady who was in the driver's seat with her seatbelt still on and, and had been there for a number of years and nobody knew where she was and they couldn't find her. So goodness knows what else you would find. But it does also just raise the question about how we treat what is meant to be the jewel in our crown. Isn't it, Genevieve? It's supposed to be the heart of our city and everything is built around it, yet what we seem to throw in there and allow to be pumped into there, it's not exactly how you would treat the jewel in your crown so much. So we should all be a little bit ashamed, actually, about some of this stuff that, that's turning up in inside our or underneath our, our waterways. Yeah, look, and apparently it is an absolute tip. Um, Ross, good to chat. Look, this is The Hoot. Find us online. We're always on the right act and wherever you find your podcast. Um, and Ross, let's catch up again next week. Looking forward to it already, Genevieve. Thank you. Thank you, listener. See you. Bye-bye.